We're going to talk this morning about the hospitable church, uh, called out and called in. Um, this isn't going to be, uh, uh, this is a pretty simple word this morning, but it's going to take a little bit to get to it. Um, and and I, it's not entirely new necessarily, but I don't think we've ever come out and sort of explicitly stated some of this. It's something that we've talked a lot about sort of in different directions. So hopefully this will make sense this morning. If not, uh, you get a full refund. Here we go. We talk about what church is, um, and it, in the English language, church has a broad semantic range, which can be problematic in our day-to-day -day speech. Uh, for example, church is 530 West 7th, right? We say, hey, well, I'll see you uh, over at the church, and what does that mean? That means a building. So church is often referred to as a building. Church is also referred to as an event, like, oh, I met that guy at church. What do you mean? Well, I met that guy at a service. It was the nine o'clock service on a Sunday morning. You see, two different ways. Or as like a group of people, like, man, I just love my church family. So lots of different ways. And even that can be split up in two ways. So you talk about the church, problems with the church, man. That's usually talking about universal, right? Uh, but then sometimes like local church, local church family as well. So lots of different ways the word is used. Um, but we need to understand the actual core meaning of it. Because sometimes language actually gets in the way and, and makes us see things in a, in a weird way that wasn't intended. Scripturally speaking, the word is ecclesia. And uh, uh, it, the, the word actually means uh, the called out ones. So as you can see, scripturally, the word isn't so much used for a building or for a service time. Now, they, they met in structures and they had times of meeting, but it actually meant a group of people, the ones who were called out. Now, that fact has led some people who have more of an anti-institutional bent to think, well, then we don't need service times and we don't need buildings or we don't need anything structured because we're called out once. So I'm going to be called out and do my thing. And uh, that's kind of unfortunate uh, because it doesn't work really well that way. Sometimes those kinds of things can, can, can you know, can, those shaded meanings sort of push us in a direction that's not necessarily healthy. For example, I think I've told this story here before, but a couple of years ago I was speaking at a YWAM school um, and uh, Things were going really well, and there was this, uh, uh, this young lady who had been very engaged and, and excited about the topics, and, and I started talking about interdependence and our need to bear one another's burdens as believers. And she gets, suddenly her face goes cold, and she raises her hand. I swear it was like this. It was like, <laughs> like, yeah. She goes, why do I have to do that? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> why do I have to let other people in? Why can't it just be me and Jesus? And I, I, I didn't think much about it. The words just kind of sprung out of my mouth. I said, because you're not strong enough. It was just the obvious thing to me, like, well, of course. And then her face just goes total ice. And I don't think she spoke to me the rest of the time. And so I, I talked with her leaders about it, like, oh yeah, this, she is working on this because she's had some hurts in her life about opening herself up. And now it's determined that it's just about her and Jesus on a hill. This is, you know, and this is a very common thing. Honestly, we see this a lot in the missions world. I come from youth of the mission background. And you see this a lot in the missions world where people will go out and they'll, they'll be in their, their training and, and they so love falling in love with Jesus and they walk around with guitars and what they want to do is be barefoot on an island on a hill with Jesus and they want that to be their Christian life. 
And there's beautiful things about that, meeting Jesus in those settings through things we love and an intimate one-on-one relationship, but it's not enough. We are the called-out ones, not the called-out individuals. Christianity is a team sport. Now, if you are alone on a desert island and nobody's there, the Lord's going to meet you, right? He will fill that. But none of us are actually in that place. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We are the called-out ones. Now, Oh, we are, we are called out in order to be called in. We're called out of the world, but we're called into something. We're not just out floating, okay? Uh, let's look at the, the birth of the, the church here, the early church in Acts 2. Uh, let's uh, read this portion here. As they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now you remember the context here? This, this whole thing had happened after the Holy Spirit fell on a bunch of unsuspecting feast goers. There were thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of visitors that had poured into Jerusalem seven months after the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Seven weeks had passed and the next feast has come. So now they're all cramming back in here. People from every corner of the empire, from every conceivable background, all of them had some probably uh, uh, um, ancestors who were Jewish or they themselves uh, uh, were still culturally Jewish following God to the best of their ability and that meant coming to feast. And so here they are and they're just going about their routines and suddenly the Holy Spirit just, just falls on this group of, of disciples that are waiting and he spills out and suddenly the gospel is being preached in all of the different languages that these people come from and they're saying, what in the world does this mean? Peter stands up, gives this unbelievable sermon and everybody's like, well, what do we do now? How can we meet Jesus? What do we have to do to be saved? And he tells them, and, and, and thousands of people are added to their number and baptized that day. So all of this is happening in that setting. Now, I, ha- I feel like I have to, to, to make this little point uh, because when we read this so often, our minds jump to economic theory for some reason. This, this passage has been hijacked by those who want to have economic discussions. If you want to have economic discussions, please do. You can even have them about biblical economics. Please do. I won't be there because I find that incredibly boring. However, don't use this passage because if you're going to do that, you're pulling it out of its context. This passage has nothing to do with socialism or free market economics. This has everything to do with a crisis situation. It's like this. Imagine ScandyFest comes. And at Scandi Fest last year, we did a, uh, a church service. <laughs> church service. We did an event. Right? No, we, it's okay. It's okay to, to, to use those terms as shorthand. Just remember what, what church actually means at its core. But we had a service there, a, a Sunday morning service. Now imagine all the thousands of people that come into town all came to that service, and boom, the Holy Spirit falls, and thousands of people get saved. Wouldn't that be cool? So now, now, now go a little further with it. Imagine all these people only brought enough money and resources just for one day. Now also imagine that there's no McDonald's or easy places to get food or supplies. And there's no hotels. What do they do? You know what they end up doing? Sleeping on our lawns. 
they end up filling this place with sleeping bags and our field and our sofas. Now, what do we do? Well, we say, well, we could send them home, but they really want to know about Jesus. So what are we going to do? Let's give them Jesus. So what do, we start having Bible studies. We start having worship services, big ones and small ones. We start pouring into them every bit as we can because this is revival. What do you do? And then somebody comes and Chanel's like, uh, guys, we have absolutely no money. What are we going to do? And so someone comes and says, well, I can sell my car. And they come there. All right, that'll feed our people for another week. Okay, great, great, great. See? And that's what happened. It was a response to a crisis situation. It was a beautiful example of community actually coming together. Okay? So that happens. Now, but notice how the community is functioning already. They're gathering in different contexts. In big contexts, they're going worshiping in the temple, and in small contexts, in the home. The temple and the table. So there's more than one context that that community is supposed to gather in. Uh, and they're all important, and they can't do one another's job. Uh, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do not forsake gathering. Do not forsake assembling. Don't try to become a lone dog. It doesn't work. Keep on assembling together as believers. What's he talking about? Well, I think he's talking about a couple of different things. I think, first of all, he's talking about what we're doing right now. Do you know what we're doing right now is, is a long and God-ordained tradition, and it's a beautiful thing. It goes back way into the Old Testament of the people of God gathering and the Levites singing songs of praise, sometimes written by David, sometimes written by Asaph, sometimes written by the sons of Korah. You had all of these, these beautiful hymns that were sometimes by Moses, and they'd come and they'd sing these songs, and, and then somebody would stand and, and recite or read portions of the Torah and things that God had said. This is a long and beautiful tradition of the church. Now, why do we do it? Well, we do it, first of all, because this is what God prescribed. This is what the early church did, and so we're going to continue in it. But there are inherent strengths in an environment like this. For one thing, we all come and we listen to the word of the Lord, both read and spoken in, in, in exhortation. We have the opportunity to come together and hear the same thing. Hear what is, what is on the Lord's heart for us as a, as a body, what's happening in our valley, and, and, and to hear the direction of the Lord and to stir one another up to good works. That's an inherent strength. There's an inherent inspiring strength where you all get on the same page. There's also a, a, a beautiful thing. I think this is actually even more key. Our culture glorifies the individual, just glorifies the self. That is the religion of America. It's the religion of the self. Now, when we come here on Sunday morning, we sort of kick through that because this day isn't about you or it's not about me. It's really important that we recognize this. Now, I've talked a lot about how these things are incredible tools and incredibly terrible little demon-possessed gadgets, right? These, <laughs> there's really good and there's a lot of bad as well. One of the bad parts about these things is this. When you pull this out of your pocket, the main message it's getting is that you are the center of the universe and you are right about everything. You can't look at the news on your phone without, a, without it already telling you that you're right. You know why? 
because it curates the specific news sources and kinds of stories that you want to see. It knows the ones you don't like. Those are the ones you never click on. Or maybe the ones you say, I'm not reading that newspaper, and so you hide it. So it's only the ones you really like that, that it shows up on. So every morning you check that and you go, just what I thought. I knew it again. <laughs> what is it telling you? This thing is telling you, you're so smart. <laughs> you're so good. And then you open social media, and it's all stuff about you. Oh, look at this. Remember this picture of me? I look so good. Look at all the likes I got. I forgot about that. Somebody else remembered. I am the center of so many things. You see this? This is a self-centered, you are amazing machine. <laughs> That'd be a good name. You are amazing machine. Now, you are amazing. You're not right about everything, unfortunately. So this thing, <laughs> this thing has some flaws. But what happens on Sunday morning is we come in here, we sit in these seats, and nothing is about us as individuals. You know, we receive individually, don't get me wrong, and we ought to, but it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about Joshua, it's not about anybody up here, it's about him. And all we, what we do is we join and we sing together as one at him, to him, and we glorify. We, we, we talk about objective truth, and we remember the, 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 the slain and risen Savior, and we partake of those elements just as he said. This is a time when we do things together and it has nothing to do with your individual taste. In fact, you probably, maybe there was a song this morning, you're like, I don't really like that song. Hey, guess what? That's okay. That's totally okay. See, because all week long, you can have your curated Spotify playlists and you can listen to the songs you like the best. And that's a great thing. That, that's a good part of this. You can, you, can, man, you can walk around and listen to the songs that inspire you the most and not have everything relying on this service. See, when you try to get this thing, to, to this meeting, to do something it's not designed to do, it does a really bad job, just like any other tool. Now, I'm really, really bad with tools, but I know that if I want to cut a piece of wood, I don't use a hammer. I know that much. <laughs> if you're looking for intimacy, which we all are, if you're looking for spiritual community and intimacy, this meeting alone is not going to accomplish that. It's not what it was designed to do. It has a different purpose. So, this is extremely uh, uh, important for us to see. The big group gathering is, is really good at instruction, at inspiration, but we also need small group gatherings. Small gatherings are made for give and take. They're made for sharing stories, for giving individual encouragement. Small group gatherings are all about sharing life. We need to share life together. Both of these environments, the temple and the table, are important. We can't have one of them do the job of the other. Um, if, if, you're, if you're, well, let me, let's, let's look again, actually, at Acts 2. Day by day, in the green part, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They broke bread. Here's the smaller gatherings. They broke bread in their homes. They invited the people of God into their homes and they shared life. It wasn't only a regular habit of the early church. It was actually a commandment of Peter himself. This, this was a really important key element that I think can easily get lost in the day-to-day uh, of, of uh, the Christian life. It, it was a place of very high importance, and, and I, it's sort of been relegated to a thing that is good to do. But Peter actually looked at this as a command. He said, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
hospitality. He is telling everybody, love each other deeply. Love covers a multitude of sins. And right there with it is hospitality. Because the, way, the best way to love a person is to get into their lives. Do you want intimacy? This isn't going to do it. This is a great place for those to start. This is a great place to meet one another. And we do have, have opportunity to pray with one another for our missionaries. And, and, and we have prayer servant team. And we have other times where we share one-on-one. But majority of what we do here isn't about intimacy. The, the small group is all about that. It's all about getting into one another's lives to build one another up, to love deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Hospitality was a a very high virtue all the way through the Old Testament and through the early church. It's gotten much more complicated uh, for a variety of reasons. But you've been called out of the world and into a, a community, into a culture of hospitality. That fa- and it faces inward as well as outward. Uh, check this out. Um, the word actually is uh, uh, phylloxenos. Can you say that? Phylloxenos. Some of, only like five of you said it, and that's fine. I don't care, whatever. I'm not, I'm not taking that personally. Whatever. <laughs> it literally means, in the Greek, kind to strangers. Phila means, you know, it's like phileo, the love of friends, or, uh, uh, you know, the brotherly love. And then uh, xenos, you hear like xenophobia and stuff like that. It's all about strangers. So this is the love of strangers, as opposed to like xenophobia, as people talk about, which is the fear of them. Um, This is kindness to strangers. It was a command that was used throughout the scriptures in many, many ways. The people of God were called to be a community of welcoming fellowship, a community of hospitality, people that open their doors, not just for one another, but for the stranger. Uh, Here's just a couple of examples here. Leviticus 19. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner resides, or residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Isn't that good? That's good. Here's another one. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You see this come up over and over in the Old Testament. Uh, there are many examples. Uh, so the people of God from the beginning have been tasked with, with welcoming one another, but also welcoming those who are, are in need. And that's a difficult thing. Uh, Now, we are endeavoring to do that more and more in this valley and in our own uh, uh, church family here. This is why, uh, you know, the the foster care movement is so dear to us. We think this is what we're called to do. We're called to to welcome in those in need. This is why we're excited about safe families and we want to continue to grow this. So I'm not bringing this word as like, I feel like this is something that we stink at. I don't feel that way at all. I just want to put, I want to highlight this this morning so that we can increase everything more because this is a beautiful thing that we've been tasked to do. So uh, to, to love and to invite those in is, uh, is a beautiful thing. And we see this in the New Testament as well, of course. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I can't wait till we get, you know, to one day be able to look on that because we might think some of our dinner parties were a little different than we thought. Where that'll be fun to see. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And in fact, it was such a big deal that in, in two different places, this was uh, considered one of the character attributes that had to be in place in order for someone to be a leader, any kind of leader in the church. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, 
the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Isn't that interesting? Like, in our day, the hospitable, and you have that right up there with make sure they're not a polygamist. Like, that seems like, yeah, we get that part of self-control, we get that, but hospitable, like, really? Is that big of a deal? And guys, it's that big of a deal. Over and over again in Scripture, it's that big a deal. The examples go on and on. Now let's, let's uh, look again at this verse in 1 Peter. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In other words, take that lover of stranger thing, as this word actually means, and point it at one another. Make it a habit and do it with joy. The commands to love the stranger and bring the stranger into our home might sound you know, difficult. That's, a, that's, a, that's not an easy thing to do. Maybe even scary. But we don't have the, the, the cultural... See, they had a lot of... This was such a big deal in the ancient world, and it still is in much of, in much of the, the Eastern world. It's in the West that we've forgotten how to do this, by and large. Um, but this was such a big deal and continues to be to honor the traveler when somebody comes in to treat them as an, as an honored guest was, a, was a, a, a really big deal. And it hasn't been to us, and I think we need to, to maybe grapple with this a little bit and let this rise up and make it a, a, little, bit, a little bit a higher priority um, on our list. It sounds uh, maybe scary to some of us, but I don't think it would be if we were in the practice of doing this with one another really well. You see, we, we're looking inward and we're looking outward. So we are called to be a, 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 in a strong community where we can grow in Christ when outsiders feel safe and protected. This is how communities grow. Here's what I want to say. I hope I'm not overstating this. It might be overstated, but I, I'm not sure. Hospitality is the most effective tool for building authentic community. The most effective tool in building authentic community. Now, here's why I'm not sure I'm overstating it. Because where does authentic community happen? It happens in the home. That's where it does. Authentic community. You see, you can go out and you can try to really, really impress people. And you can meet on some, you know, neutral ground where you've got a lot of stuff hidden. Or you can say, come into my home, come into my life. You see? There's something completely different. If you want authentic community and you really want to grow, you really want to get to know people as brothers and sisters, you really want to welcome in the needy and the broken, the, the best place for that to happen is in your actual life, not in a fake place. Not in some facade world that we're so good at nowadays as to say, come into my home. Now, some of us uh, are, some of you guys are really, really good at this part of it, at, at bringing people in. Uh, some of us need a little help. And once again, I feel like there's cultural pressures that, that are new and aren't helpful. And here's what I think the biggest cultural pressure is that make hospitality difficult in our context. HGTV. <laughs> HGTV makes hospitality incredibly hard. Here's why. Because you see that, and the Food Network as well, both those together. You see these places that are just pristine, these beautiful environments. You know, like these cool outdoor settings are like my favorite. You know, you've got like outdoor fireplace, and you've got this grill, and you've got the TV for watching games up here, and it's right next to the pool. And, and like all of these things together, it's like, this is so amazing. Now, those settings are great. If you have that, more power to you. That's amazing. But you don't have to have all these things in place in order to be hospitable. In fact, uh, uh, 
we, we've replaced hospitality with a different word, entertain. Oh, I really like entertaining people. Well, that's not actually what hospitality is. See, entertaining is making sure people are come in and make sure they're not bored and keep up. Oh, oh, do you like this? Okay, huh, how about this? You're still good. It's almost like, you know, putting on a show for somebody when they come in. That's not what hospitality is. That's, and that puts all kinds of undue pressure. It's okay if you can't cut the cheese wedges, friends. It's okay. If you like the cheese wedges, great, that's awesome. I think cheese wedges are pretty cool myself. But don't let that, don't let those kind of standards stop you from opening up your lives to your neighbors. Those are cultural pressures, and it's, it's really unfortunate because it keeps people at arm's length. Like, I don't want you to see me unless I'm really, really perfect. I'm not saying we don't clean our houses. But, but there's a difference. Are you with me? There's a difference. Okay. Now, there's a wonderful article, hat tip to Ann Nunn here. Um, she had shared this. This was from a, a great blog called Mere Orthodoxy, which is an awesome name for a blog. If you're a Chesterton Lewis fan, you get that title right away. Uh, th th get this. This is, a, this is so good. I'm just going to read th just three little sections here. Hospitality is a virtue. Like any virtue, it is essentially a habit. And the key to forming a habit is making, is making the first step, that first act of the will that breaks the inertia of apprehension and discomfort. Go ahead. Invite a friend or two over on a whim. Make the place comfortable, but not a pristine museum. Cook up something tasty and practical. I found that very little helps to develop and, and to cement a friendship quite as quickly as casual hospitality. That's a good term. Casual hospitality. And this only makes sense. Hospitality is, in a sense, the material analog to the spiritual good of friendship. Authentic, life-giving friendship is a kind of love, and growing in love requires growing in emotional and spiritual intimacy, an intimacy different from, the, uh, from, the, uh, from that proper to, uh, excuse me, different from that uh, proper to romantic love, but a kind of intimacy nonetheless. And because intimacy requires the exposure of the self to the other, it requires both self-giving and vulnerability. Isn't that good? He goes on. This is exactly what hospitality does in the material world. It habituates us to giving of our time and resources and habituates us to exposing our inner sanctum in all its messiness and imperfection to our friends. In doing so, we prime ourselves for more intense intimacy and vulnerability and self-giving of the spirit where friendship's supernatural character blooms. Isn't that good? There's a supernatural character of friendship and we need to give that life. We need to give it opportunity to bloom. When we lived in Mendocino, California, we were blessed to be among the redwood trees. You guys ever driven through the redwoods? Man, just absolutely beautiful. And uh, we actually, it, you know, you can, you can walk through some of these parks and the old growth places especially, it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing the, the, the size of these things. Here's a, a great little picture here. Of, of, it's not my picture. Somebody just walking through. You can see the scale. You feel like you're walking among toes of giants. You really do. They're so tall. They're so wide. And uh, you, you, you would think that these things that just keep growing and growing would be, uh, they must, their, their roots must be like absolutely incredible and just way, way down. But uh, we, we heard something that was fascinating. They actually have incredibly shallow roots. Redwood trees. They can grow 300 feet. They're the biggest trees in the world. 
and their roots are incredibly shallow. And sometimes they get storms, they get high winds, there's so much moisture there, you would think this would be a prime place for trees just to be breaking left and right, but they don't. They stand tall. Do you know how? They grow uh, next to each other, and this happens in the roots. They do this. <laughs> like that. They twist their roots, just tie themselves in knots. They twist together, and, and they start growing in like these circles. And, and, and they're, they're so intertwined here that when the rains come, it's like, nope, nope, not going to do it. Stay strong there, buddy. Nope, oh, there we go. Hundreds of years they do this. Hundreds, that is community. These redwoods are having community and hospitality. They are tied together. Friends, is this not the coolest picture of the church? You see? It's so good. Now, get this. It's not just that. It's not just that. We had, we, we had these rings uh, uh, on the YWAM property. And some of them were, had been cut down into stumps and things. Really sad because they were just huge. But there were some still standing. And you had this amazing circle. Um, and, and it was just mysterious. And it was like you're in a fairy tale world. And you know what would happen in those? The children would play. It was a place of wonder. The children would come and play. And I can't help but see something poetic in that, you see. What better place for the young and vulnerable to thrive than in a strong community that's tied together. That's a place of wonder. That's a place of growth. That's a place of revelation. And I think as we continue to tie ourselves together and continue to push through the awkwardness and, and get into one another's lives, take that step. Like, you know, I feel lonely. Well, take that step and don't wait. Become the initiator and pull people into your life, into your home. Your knots are gonna begin to, to your, your roots are gonna begin to, to tie themselves with your neighbor and we can grow together as redwoods and the, 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 the vulnerable will come and have a better haven. This is the reason that, that in, in the Old Testament, people were able to come in and, and, and embrace the stranger. It was, they weren't on their own. It wasn't just one family. It wasn't just a couple, and a, a couple of kids. No, there were communities that supported one another and stayed so tight and made a safe place to welcome the vulnerable. This is what the Lord's doing in our midst. This is what's happening with the foster care support teams, which I think is so beautiful. This is what he's doing. And I just wanna ask you, can, can, can you roll with this? Can we, can we take this even steps further? Those of you guys, maybe who are feeling a little bit on the outside, I understand how that feels, I really do. And, and I wanna encourage you to take initiative in community, take initiative in hospitality, to push past that awkwardness. And I think as we learn to invite one another in, we'll become an even more hospitable place and even a better refuge for those who are broken in our community, amen? Does this make sense? Are you hearing me? Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord, for what you're, you're doing in this community. Prayer servant team, why don't you guys come up to? We thank you for what you're doing in this community. Lord, we just say more, please. More, please. Lord, would you, would you grow it? Would you grow that in us? Would you help us to become interdependent? Would you help us to grow together the way you've designed us to? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, prayer for anything?